Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. I want to start by saying a big thank you to the people who have made contributions to the sustainability of this podcast. It is just such a huge affirmation to me and my work, and it serves to continue this podcast's growth and development. Thank you. Also, another area I could really support is ratings and reviews. Um, it goes a long way to help the, the podcast. It uh, is the first thing people the first thing people look at um, when they're deciding whether they want to hit that play button. Uh, so leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. Now let's get to today's episode. Today is going to be a brief episode where I will try to set the stage for the Mexican-American War. I'll approach this by looking at it through two layers, or two lenses. First, we will set the stage from the national perspective, before then talking about the context of Alta California or California. From the future, wars always look inevitable. But things in the present never look that way. There are so many accidents of history that human societies, civilizations stumble over that we can hardly say that providence, fate, or progress is involved in that moment, at least in the present. After the fact, we routinely craft narratives to suggest some kind of pattern or shape to history. In some ways, this is uh, political. Stories are written by the winner to justify the new administration. At the same time, stories can also be written by the losers to justify their rebellion or intransigence. All of these are cleverly titled in the book Sapiens by Noah Yuval Harari as fictions. Stories crafted by humans for a specific purpose to unite disparate groups around a common purpose. If we look at how history was crafted, there are certainly ideologies at work in the discussion of what happened and why. And it's not only events like this, one only has to look at the number of titles released about our founding fathers to see that mythologizing or creating fictions or narratives is constantly at work in our culture. And nowhere is it more true than the expansion of our country. Let's look at the two big factors at the national level that led to this conflict. First, manifest destiny. We've talked about this before. This ideology is something we can trace all the way back to John Winthrop um, and his famous City Upon a Hill. And even back further to the missionary drive uh, that led people like the Spanish to want to convert the rest of the world. The difficulty is when religion gets mixed with politics and capitalism, it can be difficult to disentangle Uh, in a way that helps you identify what led to what. Now, regardless of the origin, a sense of opportunity in the vast frontier led many Americans to migrate westward in the vein of Jedediah Smith, who we talked about a few episodes ago. There was this belief undergirding these people that they knew what to do with the land better than the native or Mexican peoples. This kind of racial superiority kind of underlined their ideology in a way that gave them a ticket, the right, the authority to take land from other people. Um, This has been true since the beginning. Um, Looking at the United States 
as a virgin country uh, that just needed the right civilized eyes and hands to manage. Um, accordingly, they were also driven by financial opportunities. Going west meant more land and space and trapping and opportunity. There were even attempts before the war by President Polk uh, to try and buy swaths of land from the Mexican government. Uh, those came to no avail. Um, but ultimately, the drive was there um, and people were coming, uh, whether a country was in the way or not. The second national factor that led to this conflict was Texas. There's always been something going on in Texas. Um, I actually recently just watched um, a documentary on Apple TV called Boys State about a statewide boys convention that takes place in Austin, the state capital where high schools, high school students uh, from uh, across the state form political parties and hold elections. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating documentary and it, uh, it definitely showed the composition and the characteristics of uh, what is Texas today. Um, and for some reason, I mean, for obvious reasons, Californians have been flocking to Texas lately uh, for this kind of Texan sense of freedom, uh, cheaper home prices, in the sense that Texas in some ways still kind of has a little bit of that early frontier spirit uh, that you can still, you know, make your own way in Texas and in ways that you know California has already been settled. Now Texas of course is much more complicated but we don't need to go into that here. Uh, long story short Mexico in the 1830s allowed US settlers to enter Texas in an area that was severely underpopulated. We talked about Alta California and things north of central Mexico being like the frontier and that's true in Texas as well. It was uh, kind of underpopulated in many places. Um, all these settlers had to do was take an oath of allegiance to the government, uh, that they would not betray the government or subvert the government, and then convert to Catholicism. Of course, as we've covered in previous episodes, Americans are not so good with treaties or agreements, particularly ones that involve ceding power or control to another sovereign entity. Long story short, these Texans were dissatisfied with how things were going with the Mexican government. So Sam Houston and some of his buddies uh, led a rebellion and captured President Santa Ana and forced him to sign a treaty, the Treaty of Velasco that made Texas an independent state. It's important to remember here that Texas is its own independent state at this point. So when you hear people in Texas wanting to secede from the Union, in some sense there is in fact a... a a legacy of independence in that state that not many other states have. Now, during this time, the U.S. maintained a kind of parental view towards Texas, since the settlers who founded this new state were U.S. settlers. Uh, but at first, annexation was off the table. Um, that was until President Polk was narrowly elected over Henry Clay and pushed hard for the annexation of Texas. All of these events would be precursors leading to the Mexican-American War. Now, what about issues in California? Were there events in Alta California that would lead to the eventual conflict? 
We talked about in our episode with Jedediah Smith the role that explorers and trappers uh, played in raising fears and concerns by the Mexican government uh, about the influence of Americans in their territory. Then, of course, you have the legal immigrants like Abel Stearns, who seemed to be neutral but were unopposed to eventual U.S. takeover. So there were these two main forces at work in Alta California during this time. Um, and these two main forces uh, would ultimately side with the United States if, in fact, a conquest would take place. So, in some sense, we can roughly divide uh, the different groups at work in California into northern and southern segments. Those in the south were like Abel Stearns, intermarried with Californios and became part of Mexican society. And while they might be neutral, they were less likely to foment rebellion or insurrection. However, the northern residents of American origin were much more likely to be open to insurrection um, and generally before the Mexican-American War kept themselves a part of the Californios, which was easy to do. It's a large state and there weren't many Californios living there to begin with, but nonetheless. So these people in the north were the same people that following the reports of the annexation of Texas would take up arms and take over some minor locales in Northern California. Uh, the Republic of California, unlike its sister sovereign in Texas, would only exist though for uh, a few weeks before it was absorbed into the Union. Um, and this is where our bear flag comes from that continues to be one of the flags of California or our California flag. Now, if you're in the North and you decide to take uh, up arms and foment insurrection, this is not simply something that happens accidentally. This is uh, something that's driven, uh, driven by an ideology, a sense of the future of what's going to happen. And these people um, were prepared to do what they did. And so in talking about whether the war was inevitable, um, I think inevitability is a complicated word, um, but what it does mean is that if given opportunity, is something going to happen? And I think the answer is yes. All that was needed was an opportunity, and it was taken as soon as there was an opportunity. Now, when it comes to Californios, um, their experience as members of the states, um, they in fact were interestingly open to the prospect of annexation. Uh, the, in fact, the last governor <clears throat> of Alta California supported annexation, but not by the United States. Uh, he supported it uh, by uh, the British government. I think what he saw and what many others saw was that uh, the lack of government, uh, Mexico's problems um, with the Comanches and different groups uh, would ultimately lead them to be unable to govern uh, such a wide-reaching uh, state, um, and particularly the areas in the frontier like Alta California. Now, all this to say there was a sense of an impending change or inevitability. The Mexican government was obviously in and over its head and trying to manage all the territory and from the Comanche Wars, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, uh, managing intruding settlers and a powerhouse of a country sitting next door sharpening its knives. 
what was going on, what was going to happen certainly didn't need to happen the way it did, but it was going to happen in some way. Whether that process took two years and an invasion of central Mexico to do it, or whether it required an ongoing diplomatic process with a lot bigger payout than Mexico ended up getting. Regardless, the forces were all pulled in that direction. Next time, uh, we're going to talk with Nick Neely about the El Camino Real and the legacy of the mission system on the environment. Depending on how the interview schedule goes, we may jump around a bit. Um, while I'm certainly wedded to the general march chronologically, I'm not opposed to taking detours to cover interesting topics uh, that interesting people like Nick have covered. Until next time. Mm -hmm.